How can you say she's a weak character? She does things with the Force that no other character's ever done before. It's not It's not your power with the Force that makes you a strong character, Chad. Oh, you're talking it's about your, in the, in the I'm story saying line. your strength of character in the plot is what defines you as a strong character, not the things you can do. And throughout the entire trilogy, Rey was a powerful character with the Force that was almost entirely one-dimensional. Well, do you say, do you think Luke was a weak character in the original trilogy? Luke developed. So did she. Not in the same she way. She developed as much as Luke Not did. even remotely. What are you talking about? <laughs> Luke goes from... They both went from forced babies... Yes. ...to mature, experienced Jedi. But Rey starts as a mature, experienced Jedi, essentially. No. She just beat another forced baby in Ben Solo. You just compare, compare Luke at the beginning of episode four. Luke's there. He's a whiny boy. He doesn't know anything about the world. He becomes a Jedi who's mastered his feelings and learned about himself. I think episode 9 does a decent job of developing Rey. But in terms of her character arc across the entire trilogy, really she's a relatively static character. No, people get so upset just because she had power at the beginning. But that doesn't mean that she's mature or experienced. That just means in a level that can just be beginner's luck. There's a certain just like core power of the force that could allow someone to have some of those abilities without them having the experience or the harness knowledge and that's exactly what we have in this case but it's not even power she's just she shows up and she's like i am strong i'm ready to go i'm gonna beat everyone somehow she figures out that she can change the dude's mind on star killer base literally having never used the force before yeah, that didn't make any sense. But that put Daniel Craig in the movie, so it was worth it. This is true. Okay. And with that, let's get going. Hello, and welcome to Crunching Tackles, a podcast where we break down the hardest-hitting social issues in sports. My name is Chad Wiley, alongside John Nekrasov. John, how are you doing today? You know, Chad, I am doing fantastic. I am ready to just talk about some non-Star Wars related sports stuff. I'm ready to watch Arsenal somehow manage to lose this game in the middle of our podcast. And I'm ready to break down some of the hardest hitting issues in sports. We are recording on a Tuesday afternoon where the London Derby is taking place between Arsenal and Chelsea. But yes, I am also very excited for what this podcast is going to look like. I'm really excited just for the idea behind this and just getting to do this with you. I think that sports is something that you and I have both enjoyed for such a long time and it's such a good escape from the rest of life and such a good way to just enjoy time and bond with friends or become bitter rivals with friends. But I also think sports are great when they become a vehicle toward talking about bigger things and that's exactly what we're going to do on this podcast. But before we get into today's topic, let's just take a little couple seconds because this is our first episode and just introduce yourself. So John... Where did you fall in love with sports? What are you trying to do with sports now? And where do you see yourself going? Yeah, so um, I grew up in a multicultural household. I'm originally from Israel. My dad's from Russia. And so I grew up with soccer and Chelsea just scored. Look at that. That's wonderful. Uh, Okay, anyway, (laughs) back to our podcast. Thank you very much. He's turning Um, red in the face. Yeah, this is great. Uh, Anyway, what I was saying was... I fell in love with soccer at a very young age. Oh, and David Luiz got sent off. That's he, fantastic. He oh, 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 joy. <laughs> yes. This is the perfect game. <laughs> this is literally the perfect thing this that could happen. This is the perfect Arsenal game. I'm going to start screaming in the middle of this podcast, and it's going to be fantastic. But anyway, 
you know, I grew up playing the game, grew up watching the game, and, you know, really, I just, I've come to understand and view sports, um, like Chad said, as a way to kind of, to escape, like, the, the rigors of life, the stresses of life, and just kind of get to relax. At the moment, I am a copy editor and sports writer for the Liberty Champion, um, where Chad and I both attend school as college students. Um, long term, I'd like to be a professional soccer reporter full-time. Ideally, we'll get to watch Arsenal every week continue to lose for the next 20 years um and yeah that's, right. that's basically me you take a few minutes to compose yourself and i'll introduce myself and then we can get into it today like i said i'm chad wiley and i'm originally from the raleigh area of north carolina i've been a massive sports fan my entire life i'm pretty sure that the first picture of me taken at a baseball game i was one years old at a tampa bay rays game but anyway i have always loved sports i've always you know had a bunch of teams i cheer for i watch pretty much any sport you can think of john and i mostly bond over soccer which i am a fairly new fan of i am a manchester united fan which means that like john we lose a lot but unlike john my team doesn't have any plan structure or hope going forward so it's a little bit worse but Beyond that, I am a sports writer and editor for The Champion as well. I am the assistant sports editor. I'm also published with NC State's football team on their website, GoPack. And I am looking forward to using this podcast and my writing and my other skills to tell stories in sports. And sports journalism is something that I'm hoping to pursue in the long run. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation and all the conversations we're going to have because I've also written a lot in the opinion section and stay pretty in tune with politics and social issues. John and I have both written in the opinion section, and so when we can use sports as a vehicle to talk about bigger issues, I think that's really, really important for uh, not only society's conversation, but to make sports more meaningful as well. Very much so. So yeah, I think we kind of want to kick this podcast off with a discussion of the nation of Qatar. Uh, is that how we're going to pronounce it? I think we're going to go with Qatar. I've heard Qatar. I've heard other things. But if we agree on Qatar, I think we can go with Qatar. And if we're wrong, I would love for a Qatari native to come out and correct us, in which case we will come back on here and apologize. Indeed. So yeah, with that, we're going to kick off this podcast with our inaugural conversation on the country of, drumroll, Qatar. Qatar. So for a bit of backdrop, um, Qatar is hosting the World Cup in 2022, and they've been gradually expanding their influence in the world of soccer globally with a lot of investment. Teams like Paris Saint-Germain in France, a lot of oil money being invested throughout the world. They won the bid to host the World Cup in 2022 in 2010. It's kind of been a bit of a controversial issue ever since that first happened, but it has kind of jumped into the current news because of the situation with Iran. So to kick off, why don't Chad, you tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so the U.S. men's national team was preparing for their match against Costa Rica in February, and in order to do so, they were hosting a training in Qatar over the January break. And as part of that, they'd already sent their equipment manager and some of their security staff to Qatar to prepare for that training. But then President Trump killed the Iranian general Soleimani, and because of that, tensions with Iran grew. And the U.S. Soccer Federation decided to pull their camp out of Qatar. Additionally, Ajax was having a training in the same region, and the American defender Serginio Dest pulled out of that camp because he felt unsafe being in that region of the world. 
U.S. Soccer said that due to the developing situation in the region, U.S. Soccer has decided to postpone traveling to Qatar for the men's national team training camp. But they go on to say, we are working with the Qatar Football Association to find an opportunity in the near future for our team to experience Qatar's world-class facilities and hospitality. And so I think this conversation is important because the relevancy of the Iran situation really just served to enlighten or illuminate something that was a much bigger question all along, which is why is America and why is the rest of soccer being involved with Qatar at all? And John mentioned that the World Cup is going to be hosted there. So I want to throw this back to you. But what about the Qatari situation should put the rest of the world on edge? Yeah, so to discuss that, we have to take this back to both the bidding process and kind of the current situation with the World Cup in Qatar right now. So when the bidding process happened um, in 2010, um, there were a number of possible options for FIFA to host the World Cup. And this was previous to the whole FIFA scandal that happened with corruption and all the allegations that came out. Um, But essentially... What happened was, according to a number of articles and reporting by the New York Times and the BBC and a number of other journalists, Qatar essentially bribed the FIFA bidding committee to Qatar essentially bribed the FIFA bidding committee to allow them to have the World Cup when really, for a large host of reasons, they should never have been allowed to have that World Cup in the first place. That kind of begins with the whole issue of temperature, which is kind of funny to start with. Qatar is a very hot country, obviously, and the World Cup traditionally takes place in the summer. It has for roughly 80 years, I think, um, since it's been around, I guess, 90 years now. And the reality is that it's just, it's a very hot country, obviously. And so what FIFA and Qatar have had to agree to do is to host the World Cup in the winter. We've never done it before, and... um, it's going to cause European clubs and players around the world a host of problems. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, soccer is one of those sports where there basically is no off-season. If your club isn't having games or matches, your country most likely is. And so there's the saying that the football never ends because there's always something going on year-round, nonstop. And that winter season is so crucial for clubs and their competitions. There's going to be a lot of elite players on championship contending teams who are going to be either fighting for a league title for a cup trophy or to stay in the top flight or might be battling relegation and so all of those kind of get negatively impacted when you're throwing this world cup into the middle of the club season it's the same thing that's been going on in hockey where the u.s where the where the olympics have been in the winter which is the same time as the nhl season and players have actually had to decide are we going to go to the Olympics or are we going to stay back and play on our hockey team in the NHL? And that puts players in a weird situation. Just to go back a little bit, we talked about how Qatar got the World Cup. And I think America has done a, and the rest of the world have done a pretty good job of responding to that. You know, Seth Blatter resigned. People have been indicted on criminal charges. That corruption has been thoroughly investigated. But at this point, it's, it's inevitable. The, the World Cup is going to be in Qatar. So how is the rest of the world going to adapt to that reality? Yeah, so it's definitely going to be a little bit of a difficult adjustment. Qatar is obviously a majority Muslim country. Um, so there will be issues and have been issues with 
everything from even allowing alcohol in the country to massive tax hikes on alcohol for fans that Europe has had to negotiate with the country. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, Qatar also, as the small country that it is, doesn't really have the infrastructure in terms of housing to be able to incorporate the amount of fans that there are that come to the World Cup every year. Quite frankly, I mean, they've been trying to put into infrastructure together, but we're not sure if you'll actually be ready from what we've seen from the Club World Cup happening there. The hope is that it will be. I think primarily, you know, we have we have the issue of housing. We have the issue of stadiums um, where the country doesn't have the stadium infrastructure just because of the amount of fans that live in Qatar to be able to host so many fans and so many games. And so the country is having to build a ridiculous amount of new stadiums, some of which will even be deconstructed and shipped elsewhere or converted into other projects just because they have no need for such a large amount of infrastructure. So to me, it makes no sense to even considering hosting the World Cup in such a small country like spreading it across the Arabian Peninsula, maybe to Saudi Arabia and the UAE and Bahrain would make sense. But having all of these new stadiums and all this infrastructure built in one small country doesn't make sense to me. And it makes even less sense when we get into the human rights issues that are really kind of at the core of why this is a problem. To kind of put what you're saying into perspective, Qatar's population is 2.6 million people. And to put that in perspective in American terms, the population of Chicago, the city, is almost that much. It's 2.7. And so, actually, Chicago's a little bit more at 2.7. And so, you know, um, at that point, you have to imagine just dropping another 1.2 or so million people into that type of space because that's how many people travel to World Cups among the teams, the fans, the support staff, the security, the journalists, all those people. That'd be like adding another over over 1 million people into an area basically the size of Chicago. And so when we're dealing, when Qatar is dealing with that kind of infrastructure challenge, what has been their means in order to make all those people fit and make the facilities usable for this kind of tournament? Really, that, that question, Chad, is the crux of this issue. Um, and the, the reality of what's happening in Qatar right now is that because Qatar does not have the natural population to be able to really launch this building program, what they've been doing is essentially a form of modern day slave labor. The Guardian, the Independent, BBC, and a number of other newspapers have been doing a fantastic job in uncovering this and reporting this. Um, But essentially what's been happening in Qatar for the past 10 or so years is They've been taking workers from countries like India and Bangladesh who are poor, who don't have the means to provide for their families. And what they're doing is they're essentially luring them away with the hope of making money to be able to send back to their families. Um, And then the Qatari government is putting them in basically housing developments and then taking their passports away, sometimes not paying them for months at a time or not paying them at all. Um, And what's happening is they're basically being held as slaves to build these stadiums, these housing developments. Um, And on top of that, you know, these workers are dying. They're working in the incredible heat of the Middle East. Um, They're not being given proper health care. And 
the regime has been very untransparent about what's happening with the deaths. Um, when a worker dies, they're spirited away. We know nothing about the cause of death or what's been happening. Um, all we know is that there's a high potential that these workers are being worked to death on six day a week, long work shifts um, in the heat. They may be getting heat stroke. They may be getting you know getting dehydrated and then dying. With that situation, really, this World Cup, this sporting tournament that we love, that's really so many people agree is the most fun tournament on the planet in human history. It's being built off of the backs of slaves. And that's prime. That's the real issue that we're in discussing this World Cup that we're looking at right now. You know, if if like one or two people had died on the job, you know, there's obviously a lot of workers that have to be involved to build this. So if if like I said, if one or two had died, you could possibly chalk that up to maybe coincidence. But the Guardian reported that 11 workers died in 2018. That seems like a lot more than coincidence. And the fact that those bodies can't be examined, the cause of death can't be determined, is an alarming, alarming situation. I would encourage anyone who's interested to go look at what the Guardians reported about what's been going on in Qatar to see the slavery, see the documentation of the deaths, to to look into it further. And, you know, we're going to get into what the rest of the world needs to do about this situation and how to respond. But before we do that, let's take a short break. And when we come back, we'll get into that reaction and what America and the rest of the world needs to do in order to fix this problem. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. And we are back on Crunching Tackles. I'm still here with a rather despondent John Nekrasov as Arsenal is still trailing 1-0 against Chelsea. And as we were talking about before the break, on a much more serious note, we've been talking about the human rights violations in Qatar, the extreme conditions, the corruption that went into Qatar, getting the World Cup. But at this point, all of that seems kind of settled. That's all either has happened or is going on. And so... As we kind of move forward and look at the response, John, what do you think is the most important thing that the world can do to stop this type of thing from happening in the soccer world? Right. I think that's a really complicated question, honestly. Um, you know, you look at a situation like this where a country like Qatar is hosting a World Cup, but they're not just hosting a World Cup, right? They're Countries like Qatar, like the United Arab Emirates, have their fingers in a lot of pies in soccer around the world right now. You know, you see Qatar Airways on the shirts of teams like Barcelona in the past, like Paris Saint-Germain, where their investment is trying to create super clubs to basically increase the brand exposure of the country. Um, You have the UAE investing in Manchester City, um, obviously one of the largest clubs in the world right now. And... As soccer fans, we see those influences come in, but there's very little that, on the face of it, that we can do to simply just stop them, right? Um, They've got a lot of power, they've got a lot of influence, um, but I think what we're seeing as fans, as this kind of this age of super clubs kind of continues to grow is that money is becoming increasingly more important in this age. And a lot of that money is coming from corrupt regimes like Qatar, like the UAE, like China, in both in the world of soccer, as we've seen, and in the world of basketball, as we've seen with LeBron and Hong Kong and that whole situation. Um, and 
I think really as fans, we need to start taking a deeper look at not only the sports we love and celebrate, we need to start taking a deeper look at the powers that are controlling our sports. You know, if Qatar wants to begin influencing our sports to, for their own agenda, as fans, I think we need to take a closer look and ask ourselves, should we be supporting that? You know, I'm not going to say, like, don't go buy a PSG jersey, but, like, maybe fans should start really thinking about that. Start to asking themselves those questions of, how far am I willing to go to support my team if it is being built, in the case of the World Cup, off of the backs of human slaves, you know? And I think that as much as we love sports, as much as we love soccer or basketball or whatever, I think the world of sports needs to start taking a closer look in the free world at what we're allowing to influence sports. And not only that, but what steps are we willing to take in terms of boycotts, things like that, to say, like, sports is about the fans. Sports is not about the organizations that control them. Yeah, I think the point you made about LeBron and the NBA speaks to one of the big issues, which is that you can't expect the people making the money to police themselves. We all wanted LeBron to speak out like Rockets GM Joe Morey did, and we all wanted LeBron to say, this is wrong, what's going on in Hong Kong? But the reality of the situation is LeBron makes billions of dollars in China. He is an international superstar. His shoes sell well there. He travels there with Nike. Nike, his company, has a vested interest in China. And so while we would all hope that he would want to say something, that expectation doesn't exist. And when you look at all the teams who have Qatar Airways or Fly Emirates on their jerseys, all the teams tied to Saudi Arabia and to Qatar, they're, they're making millions of dollars, or in this case pounds, off of those kind of decisions and off of those people. And so we can't expect them to police themselves. It's up to everyone else to, either through public outrage, through lobbying, or through more specific methods. What do you think are some of those more specific methods that people, maybe individual fans or larger federations could use? I mean, I think the, the most obvious choice with this Qatar situation is quite simply to boycott. Um, I personally haven't decided what I'm going to do regarding this World Cup, but it's something I've considered. You know, if fans take a concerted approach and say, you know, we're not going to stand for our sport being taken apart by corrupt regimes and abusing other humans for the sake of our sport, you know, we're not going to stand for that. That's going to send a message, I think, to the rest of the world that, you know, we fans in the free world aren't going to stand for that. You know, if television numbers dramatically dropped, FIFA got dramatically less money for this World Cup, if, like, in this Spanish Super Cup that just happened, um, you know, where it took place in Saudi Arabia and you have 35 Barcelona fans from Barcelona traveling to Saudi Arabia to attend those matches, you know, that sends a message that the fans do not support tournaments being held in these places, right? In these places that have poor human rights records, in these places that, you know, really organizations like FIFA are making the decisions simply to make themselves money instead of doing it for the fans, right? So I think really a boycott, a general boycott of the World Cup 
is won't necessarily change much if it's not concerted, but I think it needs to be something that we consider in terms of, you know, how much of a stand are we really willing to take for human decency, for the respect for human life that we have, or are we simply going to say sports reign supreme over everything else? I think that's really. It's a harsh way of putting it, but I think that's really the question we kind of have before us. Yeah, I think that's really difficult when you start talking about boycotts because we all love this sport so much. And whether you're watching it on TV or you want to go, there are so many compelling reasons to want to do that. You know, I'm thinking about maybe a native of a country that doesn't normally qualify and they go on this run and they qualify and it, it might be only one or two times in your lifetime that you could go see your team in the World Cup. And it'd be hard for me to be in their shoes and say, no, I don't think you should. But at the same time, we're dealing with really, really serious issues. And I, I can't imagine boycotting the World Cup. I love it. Like, I love the World Cup. I've watched at least a little bit of every single game in Russia. I adore the World Cup. But, you know, people are going to feel convicted about that. And you can't blame them if they do. I guess I want to, ending on a little bit of a more positive note, you mentioned the Spanish Supercopa, and one thing that gives me at least some hope is the idea that and rather than being influenced by the bad workers or the bad decision makers, Western Europe and society can actually influence them. So I, I don't think that the Spanish Soccer Federation's motives were good in going to Saudi Arabia. And I don't think that they were thinking about creating good change. It was a money decision. But there were some good effects that came out of it. Women got to attend in the stadiums those, those, I guess, three matches. And that hadn't happened in Saudi Arabia before. Women had been in a primarily Muslim country. Women were banned from attending those kind of events. And so it was good to see the Spanish Federation put their foot down and say, this is a non-negotiable for us. Women deserve to be there and so that treating them as equal and so I guess my hope is that rather than separate from countries that are corrupt maybe soccer could be a way that those could that western society and western values could influence them and maybe create some real positive change and I guess that's my hope and my prayer for this situation as well so we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, John and I are going to debut our favorite segment of the week. It's called VAR Corner, where we are going to vicariously dissect some of the worst decisions made this week and identify some clear and obvious errors. So we'll stay tuned. We'll be right back. And we are back on Crunching Tackles. And like I mentioned before, we're going to do this new segment called VAR Corner, where we're going to just call out some clear and obvious errors that happened this week. And John has a very pertinent VAR Corner issue, as it literally was a VAR decision that just happened to his favorite team. So, John, why don't you take it away first? Yeah, I mean, I a lot of ridiculous things have happened this week. Aaron Rodgers had a terrible game on Sunday, and I saw that, and I was like, man, that was awful. But in in, rec- in the process of recording this podcast, I have seen David Luiz make yet another example of absolutely calamitous defending. He conceded a penalty 
and got a red card. And Jorginho then proceeded to score the penalty. And now Arsenal is mentally collapsing once again. We're down to 10 men. The second half hasn't even started yet. And I'm just sitting here. And honestly, the fact that David Luiz is even at Arsenal Football Club at the moment is a clear and obvious error. So my, my red card goes to the entire Arsenal administration that made that decision, as well as David Luiz. And I think, quite honestly, my nickname for this session is going to be the David Luiz corner. <laughs> I was I was I was thinking you're about to say David Luiz and I was I was thinking maybe my VAR decision goes to whoever decided that he was the defensive savior that Arsenal needed. So that definitely seems like a clear and obvious error and I would hope for any other center back to come in and take over there pretty soon. My clear and obvious error is going to a basketball fan in Massachusetts at LeBron James's son's high school game. LeBron was actually in attendance for Bronny Jr.'s basketball game, and in the course of that game, something just unacceptable in sports happened. I'm reading right now from the CNN that says, During the game, a fan threw something at Bronny James, hitting him in the back while he was getting ready to inbound the ball. Play was stopped briefly and security was called over, but it's not clear what was thrown. And LeBron being the protective father that he is, took to Twitter right after that game, before his game against the Celtics, and he said, hating has no limits, and then said, hashtag James Gang is built for it and is well-equipped, and they will proceed on. And there are some rumors going around that this was a young kid who threw some sort of debris at Bronny, and they don't really actually know who it was, but that's just unacceptable behavior at a sporting event those players are there to entertain you this is a 14 year old young kid and he's gonna you know have an nba career he's gonna have a really bright future but he is a teenage boy and a lot of athletes if they're not safe anywhere else they at least have some sort of refuge on their surface of play where they don't have to be interfered with by fans and that's certainly not something that they should be having on their mind and so to anyone attending a sporting event just leave the players alone. Some heckling is always fine, but keep it to that. You know, when you're starting to do something physical against a player while they're there entertaining you, that is just a clear and obvious error that is completely beyond the scope of what, what sports are intended for. Unquestionably. I mean, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. You see it in soccer. You see it in grassroots soccer. You see it in professional soccer sometimes. And physical attack on our athletes of any kind is definitely a red card definitely offside all uh, uh, it's a flag on the play all of the above all of the negative cliches (laughs) all of the negative refereeing cliches apply in this circumstance well thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this our first podcast we would love you to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on give us a rating give us a review tell us how we're doing we are brand new to this and so any and all feedback would be much appreciated Um, Tell your friends about it if you enjoy it. We're hoping to build our following and make this something that can actually do some real good for the world as we're thinking through some of these big issues and some of these tough decisions. And so hopefully you, you enjoy what you're listening to, you tell your friends, and we can start to have that larger conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as always, like Chad said, you know, follow us on Twitter, like us, subscribe. We're desperate college students with no money and... We just want to have a conversation. Also, raise a Palpatine.
Ray's a Skywalker. Ray's unquestionably a Skywalker, no, and I, I don't know why you keep <laughs> If you haven't seen Star Wars 9, the spoiler already happened, so I'm not even gonna give you any alert, but Ray's a Skywalker. If you haven't seen Star Wars 9, honestly, Go see get it. your life together. Go see it. It's a good movie. It's a good movie. Anyway, till next time, John and I are out. We'll see you guys later. Later. Bye.